Good morning. <clears throat> Try that again. Good morning. Man, that wasn't you, man. My voice was the one that, that didn't work that time. Okay, so my name's Alan. If you haven't met me yet, you're lucky. But uh, anyhow, I'm glad that everybody's here this morning. So we are actually kicking off a brand new series this morning. And the, the name of the series on your, on your handout should be The Truth About Lies. This is an ambitious sermon series, i got to be honest with you. It's been a little intimidating for me. What we plan to do here, this today and next week, I'll be preaching, and what I'm going to try and do is kind of get the big picture about what lies are, where they come from, and what they actually do. We'll narrow that picture a little bit next week. But then in the following weeks, Gary and Mike are going to tell you some specific lies that as Christians we tend to fall into, that we tend to believe in. They're going to tell you the truth about some of those lies. So, what about lies? Don't you just hate lies? You ever had anybody that was just a born liar? I'm not talking about lies every now and then. I'm talking about all the time. Like, I've had people in my family that I wasn't even sure they were in my family until I saw the paperwork. Because they just lied so naturally. We live in an age where I think there's a lot of lying that's going on. People lie to us, don't they? Anybody here been lied to? Universal, right? Advertisers lie to us. Governments lie to us. Newspapers. News shows. Just flip back and forth between some of the cable news outlets. You know somebody's not telling the truth. Text Email scams? Anybody dealt with some of those? See, the thing about lies is lies make our world like a, line, like a minefield. You put your foot down, put your weight down on a lie, and your life can explode. Let me ask you this. Do you think that it's getting worse in our society? Do you think lying has gotten worse? Boy, it sure feels like that to me, too. What's going on? Why are there so many lies? Why is it becoming more natural? You know, back in the 80s, I knew a guy that had actually defected from Soviet Russia and and snuck out of the country. Big story. And one of the things I was asking him about is, what's the big difference between there and here? He said, the biggest difference is lies. He said, you just assume when people are talking to you in the Soviet Union that they're lying to you. And he said, it was hard for me to get used to the idea that people here were actually telling me the truth. And yet, it seems like it's becoming more and more that you have to assume people are lying to you. By the way, since I'm up here with a microphone, I'm going to attempt to tell you some truth today. I want you to be able to check out the things that I say. I want to encourage you not to just take my word for some of these things. I think there's a responsibility we have to go to the Word of God and to check out the things that preachers and teachers tell us about God especially, and make sure that we know what we're being told is true. So, let's get into this. We're going to, if you've got a Bible handy, we're going to look at John chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 31 through 47. Because I think this is going to be a real good place for us to begin this journey to try and find out the truth about lies. It says there, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children, which probably was a back at you and an insinuation about Jesus' heritage. God himself is our true father, they said. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are children of your father, the devil. Man, top ten things you don't want to hear from Jesus of Nazareth. You are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Wow, that's some heavy-duty conversation that's going on there, right? Kind of a debate going on, right? Well, let's establish something I think that all of us here would believe. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We want to know truth, we get to know Jesus. We can trust what he says to be true. We all agree on that? Okay, that's a good basis for us to begin with. If Jesus is the truth, and I believe he is, and you believe he is, and the truth will set us free, which is what Jesus said, then there are at least three things in this story that we need to believe are true. The first one is, truth number one that we need to believe is, there is a devil. There is a devil. I think sometimes in our society, well, I know in our society, but I think sometimes even in our community of believers, we downplay the role of the devil. We don't talk about him that much. Or we talk about him in ways that maybe the Bible doesn't really support. We misunderstand who our adversary is. Devil, that word is from the Greek word diabolos, which is the word we get diabolical from. The devil is just one of many names that's used by Jesus and the writers of the New Testament to describe this creature. He's an accuser. That's where the, the root of that word diablos 
comes from a word that means false accuser, a slanderer. Jesus also calls him the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the deceiver, the serpent of old. In all those names, do you notice a common thread? It may be elusive at first, but they're not proper names. They're all descriptions. They're all titles. In fact, we we tend to think of the devil as his name being Satan. Did you know his name is not Satan? In Greek, it's Ha-Satan, which is the Satan. The same thing is true in the Old uh, Hebrew, the Satan. Both ancient Hebrew and Koine Greek, the original languages of the Bible, are just like English in that they are very intolerant of the word the before a person's name. We don't go around saying the Bob or the Alan. I mean, that just doesn't sound right, right? And neither did the original languages. So when they talk about Satan as the Satan, they're not giving him a personal name. They're describing him. Some scholars actually think that this is a subtle dig from Jesus and the writers of the Bible, that this creature doesn't even deserve a name. He doesn't even get a name. I know someone here will say, well, what about Lucifer? I thought his name was Lucifer. That's bigger than what I've got time to explain right now. It's out of Isaiah 14, 12, but actually it's a, it's a mistranslation from way back in the old Texas Receptus, and you don't want all this information. It actually means morning star, but it got translated Lucifer. But morning star is still what? A description. So his name isn't Satan and his name isn't Lucifer. All these descriptions tell us who this creature is. Three times Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. He does that in John 12.31, John 14.30, and John 16.11. And the word for ruler is the Greek word archon, which is a political word. It's a political word for the highest ranking position in a government. This is who we're up against, folks. So according to Jesus, this creature is real. He's not a myth. He's not a cartoon. He's not something that sits on your shoulder. He's not like he's been depicted for us in so popularly. You're not going to pick him out by the bifurcated hooves and the pointy tail and the pitchfork and the red flannel pajamas and the horns. That's all something else. That's not who he is. But he is real. And according to Jesus, the devil is the most powerful, influential, and dangerous creature in the entire cosmos. According to Jesus, he's an invisible but real intelligence that is behind those who refuse to listen to him. He's the intelligence, the real evil intelligence behind those that refuse to listen to Jesus and accept his kingship. In fact, the, in verse 31, I, I got to tell you, in this passage, there was something that troubled me that I didn't catch until I was, had already sent in my notes to do this lesson. I assumed that in this passage that we read out of John 8, that Jesus was having this debate with the religious leaders of the day. Did you think that too? If he was, I'm not certain how we know that because 
we're told right at the very beginning that he was talking to the Jews who believed in him. Yeah, he has this debate with believers. I don't know what to do with that. Not exactly. Other than to say, you know, I've had believers, I've tried to tell the truth who wouldn't listen to it. Have you? Have you ever had, you've tried to tell someone the truth, this is what Jesus says, and they get so mad at you that they would hurt you if they could? Maybe that's the same kind of people that Jesus is addressing and having this debate with. But I'll tell you this, whoever these people are that he's talking to, if they're believers, that should get our attention. That should kind of make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Because we can be believers and be this crowd that Jesus said, no, you want to be free, I can do that. I'd be glad to do that, but right now, your father is the devil. Man, that, that kind of creeps me out a little bit. I hope it creeps you out too. I want to come back to this evil behind those that refuse to listen, because that's what Jesus says in this passage. The Apostle Paul draws attention to it a couple of times in Ephesians, but I'll give you one of them. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Nathan, this is some of what you were talking about during communion, right? There was a time, but you're not alone, but (laughs) brother, you're not alone. We were all this way. We were all this way. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander, here's Paul's description of the devil that we're up against. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. We could park the lesson here and just deal with that verse. But there is a real intelligent evil. And Paul, in in the letter to the Ephesians, doesn't get out the scalpel and draw a sharp distinction between those unseen entities and the human authorities that they instantiate themselves with. The point that we should gather from both what Jesus said and Paul said is, there is a real evil behind the evil that we deal with and that we see. Okay, the second truth is that we need to believe his end goal is and always has been murder. That's what Jesus says, right? In verse 43, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer destroys life. He wipes it out. This is what the devil has always been and remains to this day. The devil is the original rebel. He is at war with God. He hates what God created and called good. He hates life. And his goal is to tear it all down. Third truth that we need to believe, since Jesus is the truth, What he says, third thing we need to believe out of this passage is, the devil's primary tool is lies. Does that surprise anybody? Have you ever had anybody say, yeah, how's it going? You you ask them, they say, ah, the devil's been messing with me. I hear that a lot, do you? What kind of things are they talking about whenever they say that? 
whenever you think about the devil messing with you or attacking you, what are the kind of things you think he's up to? Yes. Say it loud. Temptation? Yes. What about things like this? Because this is just a short list of some of the things that I've heard. Losing my job. Uh, I'm having trouble at work. Having trouble with my spouse or with my kids. The devil's at work. Flat tire. I've had people blame their flat tire on the devil. Broken air conditioning. Which I, I gotta, I gotta admit, that is diabolical in this weather. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's certainly from hell. <laughs> Even feels like it. But that's what, you know, people have broke, blamed the devil for their broken AC. Blame the devil for their money problems. There are classically the three D's, I call them. Disease, disaster, and demons. That's normally what we think of when we think of spiritual warfare, when we think about what the devil's doing, right? I mean, that's kind of, kind of tracks with what we normally talk about in, in our conversations. The devil could be, I want to be honest about this, the devil could be involved, at least to some degree, in any of all those things. And certainly he's involved with the demonic, though I don't think we always recognize demonic activity. That's more of a conversation for another time. But when Jesus gives his most in-depth teaching on the devil, he doesn't mention any of those things that we just listed that are so common. He doesn't list any of them. Instead, it's an intellectual debate over truth and lies. In verse 44, just going back, 44 and 45, Jesus says, You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. See, being the father of lies is a description that means he is the origin of deception itself. He's the deceiver. And here's another thing. We're not just up against the devil. We're up against the devil and his kids. We'll circle back to that later on. There's a lot to cover this morning. So, just to review, Jesus is painting a big picture for us of the devil. And here it is. Number one, there is a devil... And he's the most powerful, influential, and dangerous creature in the cosmos. And he has declared war on all that God has called good. Two, his goal is to tear it all down. To ruin your soul and our society. To end life as God intended it. Number three, his primary tool for accomplishing his goal is lies. That's his go-to move. That's his preferred method of attack. All the other things, demons, disasters, diseases, broken AC, those are relatively lower level stuff. In fact, I heard one teacher talk about demon possession. He said, that is second, third, fourth tier activity when it happens because the devil isn't primarily interested in turning humans into human sock puppets. He's got something much more diabolical and devious in mind. So, what should be our big takeaway from this big picture? I think it goes like this. 
Following Jesus means joining a war in which it requires me to fight a daily battle, and it is a daily battle, to believe truth over lies. Following Jesus means joining in a war which requires me to fight a daily battle to believe truth over lies. It's hard to miss the fact from what Jesus is saying that we are actually living in a battlefield. You and I are standing right now at ground zero in a spiritual war. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. So here's some truth. We're either going to believe and spread truth or we're going to believe and spread lies. It'll be one or the other. And if that's true, if that statement is true, that means that we'll either be set free. And by the way, remember Jesus is talking about set free. In other places in the book of John, he kind of defines some of that freedom. Free from condemnation. Chapter 5, verse 24. Free from darkness. The insidious thing about darkness is you cannot see where you're going. And so even with the best of intentions, you run into things that hurt yourself and others. Darkness, the dominion of darkness, it's a true power that destroys people. But Jesus, if we accept his truth, will set us free from that. If we keep his commandments, he'll set us free. He'll also set us free from the power of the evil one, chapter 17, verse 15, and from death itself, chapter 5, verse 24. In addition to that, we will help heaven invade this earth. This isn't just a moral war. A more, a war with me against me. Me trying to be the better version of me. Live a higher ethic. This is about heaven reclaiming earth and reclaiming souls and setting them free. And we're either going to be working for God or we're going to be working for the other team. And we can help hell keep a stranglehold on our lives and on society. We're in a war, folks. Do you guys know that? You've experienced it? That's why Gary and I and Tim thought it was so important to maybe have this discussion for this series about the truth about lies. To take a step in that direction to understand what we're up against and how it all works. The first step to fighting any war is to what? Know who you're fighting. <laughs> know your enemy. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about forgiving people. And he says, I've done this so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan. Every one of us in here can be taken advantage of by Satan. He says, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. I hope that we become not ignorant of his schemes. I think too many times I don't see his traps until they've already been sprung. How about you? We need to educate ourselves about our enemy and understand what he's doing and how he plays us and not be ignorant of his schemes. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 5.8. He said, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not making it up. He's not overstating the case. We have an enemy, and we need to not be ignorant of his schemes, and we need to keep our eyes open for what he's doing. 
So, to help us move on through this lesson, and I'm going to try to fly through some of this stuff. There's just so much to cover. It's tough to do it in a short amount of time. I'll be happy to talk to anybody who's got questions later and do the best I can to answer these questions. But for us to move forward, I've got some definitions. Definitions are great. They kind of keep us on track, help us to find where we're at. So here's the first definition. What is truth? Truth is reality. Or at least something that corresponds to reality. You with me? Truth is reality. What are lies? Lies are unreality. Or maybe a word we use more commonly, fantasy. It's the opposite of reality. So both of those questions have a natural follow-up question. What's reality? See if you like this definition. Reality is what I run into when I'm wrong. If I believed that I could jump in the ring and fight Mike Tyson tonight, I believe I would run full square into reality. <laughs> yeah, you get my point, right? We can believe we can fly, jump off of buildings, but reality is going to run into us, isn't it? Okay, so here's, and here's, this is a big one. Ideas. What are ideas? Ideas are my assumptions about reality. Ideas are my assumptions about reality. That one is a big one. Because my lies, my ideas can either be truth or lies. My assumption about reality can either be congruent with truth and reality or incongruent and can be a fantasy. And this, folks, is where the devil will attack. He's going to come at you in your ideas, in your assumptions about reality. See, as humans, God created us with this ability to work with ideas in a way that animals can't. We have the capacity to hold in our minds at the same time both things that exist and things that don't exist or don't exist yet. Whenever an artist or a a musician writes a piece of music, they have an image in their head of something that does not yet exist. So it's not reality if it doesn't exist. We need this ability to be creative. We can have both reality and unreality in our minds at the same time. And it allows us to do so many wonderful things. Animals, by contrast, really just live in the moment. And this is the genius of our human design, and it's also our Achilles heel. We can have both reality and unreality in our minds and not be able to tell the difference. We can believe a lie. Okay, if you're with me so far, we're going to move into a section called The Truth About My Ideas. See, we all live by what psychologists call mental maps. Anybody here heard this discussion before? Mental maps, you're familiar with the term. What's a mental map? Well, we all have literal mental maps in our heads. How many of you guys really had to rely on your GPS to get here this morning? 
I don't see one hand. One hand. (laughs) You still need, after all these years, Frank, you still need GPS to get here? Most of us don't need GPS to get here. Why? Because we got a mental map in our head. If it's based on reality, we're going to get here just fine. In fact, I took 255 to get here. If 255 would have been blocked, I have in my head, like many of you, an alternate route that would have gotten me here. If my mental map is not based on reality, where do I end up? Somewhere other than here, right? But we all have these mental maps, and you're, you're familiar with that. You work with them every day. And in the same way that we have those kinds of mental maps, we also have mental maps for every area of our lives. We have them for our sexuality. We have mental maps for money and how we earn it, how we use it, what we're going to buy with it. We have mental maps for power, the use of it, the acquisition of it. We have mental maps for love and romance, for marriage, for family, for parenting, happiness. You get it? We have the ability to hold maps for things that exist and things that don't exist or don't exist yet. And it's by these maps that we navigate to where we want to get to or to who we want to be. You with me so far? Okay. Our mental maps are just a collection of our ideas. The mental maps for sexuality, money, power, romance, love, all these things are just a collection of your ideas, which are your assumptions about reality. In fact, as a, as a, as a pastor, there have been times where I've tried to talk to parents about their, their kids. And they're not seeing it the way that I think Jesus shows it. Or about their money. Or about their sexuality. And they are absolutely certain that they're right. But it's obvious that if Jesus is truth, they can't tell the difference between reality and unreality. And a lot of times I've seen them end up someplace they never meant to be. It's happened to me. I've had mental maps that had been tampered with. I've believed lies. And I'm going to tell you something else. I think I still do. I'm trying to figure them out and fight them and find them. And that's where we're going to in this lesson. I'll tell you about that when we get there. But our mental maps are just a collection of our ideas, our assumptions about reality. So here's some truth about my ideas. Number one, I live at the mercy of my ideas. Dallas Willard even said, he said, we live at the mercy of our ideas. Why does he say it that way? Because my ideas shape what I do, which in turn shapes the person I will become. When my ideas are congruent with truth, I thrive and I flourish. When my ideas are based on lies, I open my soul up to poison. Common sense and experience validating a lot of what I'm saying to you guys? Okay. When the serpent came at Eve in the garden, you realize that he didn't come at her with a stick or a knife. What did he come at her with? An idea that was a lie. He came, this is the power, and this is where you can expect Satan to come at you. This is the power of his attack and the area that he's going to come at. He's going to want to get at your ideas. He's going to want to plant in you 
false ideas, ideas that are not based on reality, not based on truth, and he's going to lay that as a landmine, and he's going to use that as a base to tempt you off course. He's going to mess with your mental map. And the cold hard truth, our ideas, our mental maps that we navigate life by, have been tampered with. We all have ideas planted in our minds that are not reality. We've all believed lies, things that God says are not true. We recognize some of those lies. Sometimes we can just look at the Word of God and understand it and go, wow, I was misled. Other times, plan B, consequences. We run into reality and we realize we believed a lie. But others haven't been exposed yet. Either that or else we are just unwilling to deal with reality. Danny and I were having a conversation recently about trying to help some people that just will not accept reality. Have you dealt with someone like that? It's sad, isn't it? Because you can't help them. And you can see the slavery that Jesus is talking about. Conversely, whenever someone sees the light, recognizes the truth, you've also probably seen the freedom that follows that. So here's the devil's strategy, and this is worth memorizing. You ready? Here's the devil's strategy, <laughs> presumptively reduced to one sentence. Uh, again, uh, you've got to be pretty bold to think that you're going to outwit Satan or even come close to defining him this easily, but I'm going to give it a try. Deceitful ideas, deceitful or deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Deceitful ideas. None of us are really going to buy the out-and-out ridiculous lies, right? I mean, most of us are sharp enough to avoid those. So Satan is going to hit you with something that sounds right enough that it hides. And those deceitful ideas are going to play to our disordered desires. What do I mean by disordered desires? When you look at the book of Genesis and those creation chapters at the very beginning, what you have is you have a story of God ordering creation. He orders it perfectly. He sets it up just right. But in each of us, our desires for disorder. Satan knows this, and he will plant deceptive ideas in your head, in your soul, that play to those disordered desires. And he's doing it in a society where sin is normalized. Do I need to say any more about that or do you recognize that? No more? Good. Let's move on. The second truth about your ideas is my ideas, my assumptions about reality come from who or what I listen to the most. It's a volume thing, not volume up and down loud. It's a cumulative effect. How many of you guys here, this is a dangerous question, don't put up your hands. Don't, don't answer this one or acknowledge me. I'm just throwing out a rhetorical question. How many of us here have struggled with believing that we have any value? How many of us have struggled with believing that we're lovable? Is that true? Is that what God says? No, he doesn't say that. The cross shouts that that's not true. Why do we believe it then? 
part of what we're going to be talking about is today and tomorrow is how do you overcome these lies? You do it by hearing the truth more often. By hearing the truth more often. Whenever you have a reel in your head that may have come from a parent or an employer or a spouse that keeps playing these messages that you have no value, that you're stupid, that you're ugly, that you don't matter, that you're a failure and you're always going to fail. I heard all those things because I'm a Cubs fan. So I know I have to work. <laughs> I have to work it. Unprogramming. How do I overcome? For serious though, I've heard a lot of those messages and I know you have too. And for some of those, it shapes our mental map. And if we don't correct it, you know what? It becomes true. Because our ideas, our assumptions about reality, the way that we map ourselves according to those ideas, those assumptions about reality, take us somewhere. How do you overcome that highlight reel running in your head and all those voices? You, listen, you believe it at your core because you keep playing it and you keep hearing it. But you can run that the other way. And we'll get into that as, as we get into our application here. You, The truth about your ideas is your ideas are going to be established by who you listen to the most. By the way, if you are bold... Do an audit this week and check how much you listen to CNN, Fox News, um, sitcoms, Hollywood, toxic friendships and relationships versus the Word of God. And then ask yourself, why again do I struggle with believing what Jesus says? So how can I overcome the devil's schemes? Okay, we're moving to the end now. Number one, I need to recognize Jesus' voice over all the others. You and I both need, all of us need, voice recognition software. You know, they make that now. We need to just download it and install it on our hard drives. Who's, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we hear the voice of Jesus? Through His Word. You know, we're not just up here saying you need to be people of the word. You need to check out what you're being told because it's trendy. You need voice recognition software. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, the problem that we, that we run into is we have a lot of voices in our head. All of them shouting for our attention. We have to learn to listen to Jesus' voice. We need to let him dictate what ideas we have. Our assumptions about reality, we need to let him tell us what's true. Number two, I need to find the lies that I've believed. Preferably before I jump into the ring with Mike Tyson. Preferably before I run into reality. I need to find the lies that I believe. And I've got to be honest with you, this is not going to be easy. This fight that we're talking about has been going on from the very beginning. In fact, some of the psalm writers, some of the psalms talk about this. Psalms 19.12 says, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. This is not a new revelation that I'm giving you today. This is stuff that's been around for millennia. Psalms 139, 23-24 the psalmist says, look deep into my heart, God, and find out everything I'm thinking. Where do your sins come from? 
those mental maps from you, what you're thinking. Don't let me follow evil ways, but lead me in the way that time has proven true. These are good prayers to pray. To ask God to help you find the truth, to find the lies that we've believed so that we can begin to replace them with the truth. Third thing is, is I need to replace them with the truth. Psalms 1, 1 and 2 says, God blesses those people who refuse evil advice and won't follow sinners or join in sneering at God. Instead, they find happiness in the teaching of the Lord and they think about it day and night. I mentioned the highlight reel. If the only time that you're encountering the words of Jesus are in a Sunday morning sermon, I guarantee you the volume is not in his favor. If the only time that you're encountering the words of Jesus are on Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoon at your group, and a 30-minute quiet time every day, most of us would say that's pretty good, right? But you're probably still going to have trouble with volume. Unless you let it play in your head and think about it. It's, it's not in vogue these days to memorize Scripture. But this is one of the good reasons for memorizing a verse. Because you put that word in the highlight reel. And Wayne, Jesus wept is not what I'm after. <laughs> we've, we've had a running joke about that one for a little bit, right? But there are verses like some of these that I've quoted you today that if you would think about them through the day, you would find yourself believing more truth and less lies. You would find your mental map changing, and you would find freedom. Again, there were believers that Jesus was having this debate about who could not accept his truth. And he calls them children of the devil. That could be us. Nothing about Greater Alton makes us impervious lies, we're not better or special. We are in this fight, and a lot of times we are losing ground. So we need to get over ourselves and take this seriously, because there is freedom to be had not only for me, but for you and the world around us, because we're part of a war where heaven is invading earth. And the battle line is going to be right there at the point of your ideas. Are they are your assumptions about reality true or are they false? Okay, I'm done with the lesson, but I wanted to give you something that you could use in your small groups because I think this works better if you're talking about it with somebody else. And your small group can be you and two two other people. You can also work through it on your own. However, but this is a tool that you can use to try to uncover the devil's strategy and to encounter the truth. And it's in your handouts there. Do you see it? And what I gave you is I gave you kind of a worksheet on one side that's blank, and another one that's sort of a sample that's been filled out, and we're going to run through it very fast. The first field is the question, what's the lie that I'm believing about God, myself, or the good life? What's the lie? Now, if I just ask you that question, that may be tough to just draw that up and, and figure that out, right? Start with your temptations or start with your habitual sin, the thing that you've yet to overcome, and see if that gets you going in the right direction. 
So the prompt we've got here is, I would be happier if I was married to a different person. How many people have believed that lie? If the divorce rate inside the church was less than the divorce rate in the country around us, in the society that doesn't acknowledge Jesus, if it was less somehow amongst Christians than amongst those who deny him, I would say maybe this isn't that popular of a lie for Christians. But the reality is, last time I looked, the divorce rate amongst Christians was just as high and at times higher than those outside the church. So I'd say that this is a common lie that Christians believe. I would be happier if I was married to someone else. Okay, so what's the truth Jesus is calling me to believe about that? At some level, all marriages are a bad match. There are opportunities to love someone sacrificially the way Jesus does and to grow more like Jesus in all areas of my life. Do you see the radical differences between these, these ideas? If my assumptions about reality are is that I'd be happier with somebody else, where am I going to end up? If my assumptions about reality is that Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life, where do I end up? But we're not done. Third one, what is the disordered desire of my flesh behind that lie? See, it's important to get to the why beneath the why. What is the disordered desire of my flesh behind that lie? Well... The disordered desire is to have sex with whomever I want. To feel the spark of having chemistry with somebody. Boy, that's alluring, isn't it? That's tough. Sometimes in marriage, the chemistry seems to quieten down. It doesn't always roll and boil like it did when we first got together. And sometimes, if we're believing a lie, that can be so strong a temptation. Remember I said, Satan's... Modus operandi is he's going to plant a lie and then he's going to bait you with temptation. So that's the disordered desire of my flesh that he's going to appeal to. Remember, deceitful ideas that appeal to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That's his strategy. See it at play in this? Number four, what is the reordered desire of the Spirit for my life? To be faithful and true to the commitment I made and to be formed to Jesus' image. Encountering truth that combats a lie. Number five, how is my disordered desire normalized in our sinful society? <laughs> Look at the divorce rate. Is, is divorce normalized in our society? Does anybody look at someone who refuses to honor their oath in marriage as a liar? As a con artist? Someone who has defrauded another? We don't even question their character these days, and we should. I had a woman tell me, I'm, I'm in love with this guy. He's going to leave his wife and marry me. God just wants me to be happy. Uh, talk about lies. That's probably going to be on the list, right, Gary? Just wants me to be happy. Hmm. Okay. And I've seen Christians go along with that. Because those disordered desires are normalized in a sinful society. Number six, the last one, what's Jesus' kingdom vision of a new normal? Not what our society says is normal. And Nathan was talking about having too much church in him to feel comfortable in the world and too much world in him to feel comfortable in the church. And frankly, sometimes we have too much of the world's influences in this church. 
sometimes we make deals with the devil to not preach on or talk about or take the stand that Jesus himself would take because our society punishes us for it. Number six, watch Jesus' kingdom vision of a new normal, that people who are called or to or choose marriage would commit themselves to one person for life, offering health and healing to our society as we reflect Christ-like love to everyone around. On the issue of marriage, if you're struggling with your marriage this morning, I want you to know when you switch up from thinking about what do I deserve to what does God deserve, you'll begin to move away from pain and find purpose, even in a bad marriage. That's all that I've got for you this morning. That's a lot, huh? I did not know any way to make this shorter or sweeter, but I hope that I've at least that you're walking away from here with a conviction that the devil's real, that he's a murderer, and that his primary go-to move is lies, of which we have all been infected with. And I hope you are motivated to join in the battle and not be a casualty, because there is freedom. Many of you have experienced this freedom. I think, again, common sense and experience, for most of the people that I'm talking to this morning, you know this is true because you've, had, you've dealt with some of this. You've seen this at play, and so you recognize it. It may not have been laid out to you like this, but you know the fight, and you know what it is to fail, and you know what it is to be set free. There is freedom, folks, and we can win this fight. We just got to be aware of the devil's strategy, and we got to keep our eyes open, and we got to learn how to replace those lies with truth. Next week, we'll go a little deeper into Satan's strategy. I'll try to make it a little simpler, a little smaller. <laughs> we'll see if I can do that. But for right now, let's pray. And uh, we'll be done for this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for, for loving us enough to tell us the truth. Not to just tell us the truth, but to send the truth here in bodily form to live it out in front of us and to prove that it was true. Father, we have been a rebellious and stiff-necked, even an adulterous generation, definitely as a society, but even... As your church, we haven't always taken seriously your teachings. And Father, we've, we've been deceived with, with false ideas. And sometimes we've allowed ourselves to be deceived. But Father, we, I'm praying that we will all come to conviction that we don't want any more lies. We don't want to be liars ourselves. We want to know that freedom. We want to know your truth. And we want to be fighting on the right side of things and make a difference in this world for you and for your kingdom. Father, you deserve Nothing less than that. Father, we, we're going to need serious help. <laughs> serious, serious help and Holy Spirit guidance to work through some of this and to begin to, to learn how to fight back and to avoid these landmines. Father, I pray that you'll change us from the inside out. Make us more and more like Jesus. Make us light in our communities, in our schools, where we, our businesses, in our homes, our neighborhoods, Help us to be your light, to be salt, to have the effect that your kingdom people, you've always desired for them. Father, help us to learn what it means to rest in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.